Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. If you are a new listener, welcome. I have a gift for you. A few months ago, I wrote this book on how to help women to increase their sexual desire. The book, I offer some really tangible solutions that you can apply perhaps today to change things internally and externally when it comes to your desire to want to have sex. The link is in the show notes and the book is completely free. It's my gift to you. Today, we're tackling some of the questions that you guys have sent us. One of the common questions that I get is that how important sex, how important is sex in a relationship? At times I hear from my listeners that people are asking how often they need to have sex in order to have a healthy sex life. And more importantly, many people are curious to hear that can a sexless relationship survive? These are some of the questions that we're addressing in our episodes today. Our wonderful guest today is August McLaughlin. She's a nationally recognized journalist, media personality, author of Girl Boner, and host and producer of the podcast, Girl Boner Radio, which has been compared to Sex and City meets NPR's Fresh Air. Her articles and expertise has been featured in the range of publications. You can find her full bio and link to her website in the show notes. Without further ado, here's my conversation with August McLaughlin. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm honored and excited to have August McLaughlin on our show. August, welcome to our show. Did I say your last name correctly? I believe you did. It's McLaughlin. That was perfect. Thank you, guys. I practiced it <laughs> 10 seconds ago. <laughs> it shows. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, welcome. I'm very excited about our conversation. I know that sometimes when people are starting their journey of rediscovering their sexuality and they are in a relationship that their partner is not necessarily on board with whether being sexual or it's been a while, I always get this question of how important is having a sexual connection with partners in long-term relationship? It's a big question, isn't it? It's a very common theme. And I think it's something that most anyone who's in a relationship for an extended period of time, they're going to go through a period where maybe you have mismatched desire, where one person is more inclined towards sex than the other, or you're both just really feeling maybe stressed out, or you kind of fall into a routine where you're very comfortable and you have that security with each other emotionally, but it's easy to kind of fall away from that sexual connection. And it, fe- it can feel like a wo- like work by thinking about, you know, I like my partner, we're working, we're kind of good, good cool parents together, but it, like it's it feels like an effort to change things sexually and perhaps people kind of like tried in the past and wasn't successful. So tell us, is it important? Is it essential for a sexual part of the relationship to be fixed in order to have satisfying relationships? 
You know, I think it varies so much depending on the individuals and the relationship. So I think it's very important that we know about ourselves. What does sex mean to us? Are we really connected to sex in a way where we want to have frequent sex or our sexuality obviously goes beyond the act of sex. So I think when we start from that place, it's important. And once you're in a relationship, I think it's really important to know where you both stand, you know, what is your sexual value system? I love that. What a wonderful part to highlight that kind of really kind of try to see what what's the meaning of sex for you. For some people, it's kind of being connected with energy of life. For some people, it's connected with their sensuality. So it's more than doing this act with your partner to it, whether you're climaxing, they're climaxing. So it's, it's it can be more than that. Absolutely. And when we think about sex, people have so many different definitions about that activity. Some people think it is only intercourse and penetrative sex. Um, Some people consider cuddling and making out sex. Some people, it has to be orgasmic. Some people, they consider masturbation sex. Some people don't. So I find that really fascinating how we all have these different meanings. And when we explore those ideas, I think it really opens up a lot of opportunity. And to your point about it feeling like work, that's true. It takes effort, right? And I think that sometimes we have this idea that sex is not sexy if it takes effort. Like it has to be spontaneous and it has to be this magical, whimsical thing. And it certainly can be. But I think making those efforts is actually showing that you really care about yourself and about your partner. I love that. And I think I tell clients that, you know, having a satisfying sexual experience as a long term relationship, it's more it's a, a privilege. It's not a right. So you have to invest time in it. You have to invest time in your own well-being, in your relationship, if you want to have satisfying sex lives, because there are so many people out there that they are married, but they, they're like roommates. So they don't have the good sexual connection and they're not happy with it. But because they haven't addressed it for decades, now they feel it's kind of late to work on it. So you talked about sexual values. Tell us more about that. What are some of the ways that we can discover our values? Oh, I love that question. I think reflection is very important, self-reflection, and journaling can be a wonderful tool for that. I love journaling because it allows you to freely express your thoughts without fear of what other people are going to think. And I think because so many of us carry some shame when we are feeling those feelings, you know, we feel like we should be more sexual or why does my partner not feel the same way that I do? So really expressing in some way, if you're not someone who enjoys writing, talking about it, talking to an expert such as yourself would be, I think, hugely powerful. And then really having those conversations with your partner, if you have one, and knowing that that's an ongoing thing, not not making it into like one heated discussion where everyone's nervous and it's very tense and awkward. You know, I feel a little awkward when you first bring it up, but I'm sure the intimacy builds from that vulnerability. Absolutely. And I think it's important to address it because sometimes people think, you know, if I don't bring it up, hopefully magically that will get resolved. But I haven't seen that be a case for majority of people. Maybe if you guys had a couple of weeks of kind of being off, like it can get resolved on its own. But most of the time it's, it requires to have a good communication skills. What if they're angry? If we, we have been journal, 
smiling Ooh, and noticing yeah. that, you know, my partner is not honoring my need. They don't care about me, especially as you talked about in couples with when there's desire discrepancy, the high desire partner at time feel angry, resentful, frustrated, and they don't even want to talk about it. So what are some of the suggestions you have for that partner? Mm. First, I have a lot of compassion for anyone who's feeling that because that's not pleasant and feeling angry, feeling bitter, feeling resentful. I think those are really signs and opportunities to dig deeper because I don't find those to be the, the surface or beyond the surface. Like, I feel like that's just a sign of something underlying that's probably a bigger deal. So for example, if you resent your partner and you're angry because they aren't initiating sex and they don't know that you've been longing for them to, you can't really blame them for that. And so it takes also realizing that it's never about one person. You know, when you're in a relationship, it's a it's a collective. It's something that you're both dealing with and really coming to your partner when you're able to speak from a place of love. I think is really key because you can say things in ways that show that you care. And I think that really when you're angry at somebody for not engaging in sex with you, a lot of times deep under that, or maybe not so deep under that, are these really needy feelings, like these really vulnerable feelings of, I want to feel connected to you. I want to feel your love. Now, those comments, those sound good to me. Like, I want to hear that somebody wants to feel close to me. But if someone's like screaming at me or yelling at me, because a lot of the times, if somebody has a lower desire, it's also important to go, well, what changed? Is that person okay? I think if we only focus on the sex part, it can make the person who's feeling a little less than even less. Does that strike you as the case often? Absolutely. And I think you brought up such a good point with anger being a secondary emotion, more on surface. Because when I work with couples and when we're talking about this, at times I feel this rejection feeling, kind of feeling that you don't desire me, you don't want me, you don't find me sexy. And I think those are the emotions that you can work with because every, it's those can be connecting. But if you're demanding sex and kind of like kind of expressing your anger in a way that's that's kind of like not connecting, then of course you will not get what you want. <laughs> I think that's just kind of clear. Yes. So well said. You're absolutely right. Well, I think the other piece of it is that you mentioned earlier that I think it's very important. It's thinking about your sexuality doesn't involve only your partner, your sexual being, whether you're with a partner or you're alone and kind of like really leaning into your sexual power. Tell us what are some of the suggestions that you have for people that they want to kind of access their sexual power? Mm, sexual power is such a great phrase. I love solo play and masturbation. And that too can have many different formats and styles. Sometimes it's using a toy. Sometimes it's sensually putting lotion on your whole body, maybe exploring your uh, most sensual parts with your hands and your fingers. I think really setting aside time for pleasure is important. So it doesn't have to be sexual necessarily, but something that engages your senses. 
So listening to erotica or letting yourself fantasize. I think that's really big. I spoke with a guest for my podcast just earlier today about fantasy and how, especially if you are reared as a girl or a woman, we tend to feel more likely to feel like we're a little doing something naughty. If we are fantasizing about somebody or some activity that doesn't involve our our partner when we're in a, a monogamous relationship. And I think it's really important to know that when we engage our fantasies, that's so powerful. And it also benefits sex with a partner. I 100% agree with that. (laughs) I think one of the challenges that at times I see among my clients is that they haven't kind of planted seeds in the garden of their sexuality. Mm. They they don't know what they like. They, They kind of have shut down those thoughts and emotions and desires. And somehow they feel and think that magically when they are with a partner, their sexual kind of energy will resurface. And it hasn't been, it hasn't been my experience. I think for most people, it will be really hard to access that if you haven't kind of planted seeds, haven't done reading about the books that are kind of like, uh, gives you idea, like erotica, watching things, or also attending to your own pleasure, whether it's sexual or non-sexual, one of the things that make many women vulnerable and kind of like create some challenges during partner play is their uh, negative self-image. Thinking about, oh God, here I am again, look at this part of my body, uh, make sure the lights are off, all of those negative stories. Tell us how can people work through those Mm, That's a big one. And I went through an eating disorder, a very severe one. So I have so much empathy for anyone who feels any criticism about their body, which most of us do at times, right? Regardless of our gender, regardless of our age, no matter what shape and size we are, we tend to criticize ourselves. And those can be very difficult, intrusive thoughts. So some of the ways to work through that are pursuing a passion, in your life that has nothing, it doesn't have to have anything to do with sex, certainly nothing to do with your your body as far as like food or, or exercise, something that you can focus on that's like creative, that taps into some kind of passion. I have found that to be the most powerful way to navigate those difficult feelings because we have to shift our focus away from that It's like a spiral on the inside when we get into that loop. It's very difficult. I think it's also important to give yourself grace around how you feel about your body does not have to be, I love my body. Respect your body. Make that your first step. Try to find some way to just really be okay-ish with your body. I think that there's a pressure almost to really fully love everything about your body as though that's this goal that you can reach. And I think it's more about having a relationship with your body that is much more positive. Yeah, I think those are really two big steps to take. And then making sure that if it is getting really intense, there's so much support available. And I think it's really important to seek that out because something I hear from a lot of folks, they'll say, well, I never had an eating disorder. I'm not struggling that bad, (laughs) quote unquote. There's no such thing as there's no hierarchy 
picky about how much you're struggling. So I think seeking some kind of support, there are online groups, there are books out there, but just knowing that what you're going through is very human as well. You're not alone in it because so many people struggle. Absolutely. And I like that you're thinking about it as a kind of work in progress. You don't need to kind of love all aspects of your body to have a fulfilling sexual experiences, but it's good that to focus on working on that relationship. So it's a conversation you're having with your body. And I want to make sure that at least for now, if it's been negative, shifting it to more neutral. Yes, neutral is a much better place to aim for. It's realistic for a lot of people, whereas getting to this place of total love and everything is great can feel so daunting that you won't even try. I know I've been there before. Neutral is actually, it sounds like a kind of boring word. It's actually beautiful. So I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you're talking about this because I think, uh, as, you, as you said, like disorder, eating, eating disorder, all challenges around our self-image is a spectrum. And I, I believe that sometimes people think that's something that they cannot address. And as you said, there are tons of support out there, books, groups, all sorts of things that can people uh, lean into to get become more comfortable with, that, with themselves and kind of really trying to see themselves as a whole person with all sorts of sets of skills and abilities and your self-image is one part of it. Going back to the couple piece, you know, one of the number one questions that I get, and I bet you get it a lot, is how often a couple need to have sex? I think I hear it maybe on a weekly basis. Uh-huh. <laughs> What's your response to that? Oh, goodness. It's always a not very exciting response, which is there is no normal. There is no average. There is no normal. It's really about... I think the most important thing is quality, connection, and novelty is more important than frequency. You know, bringing something in that that fuels that fire. But some couples, they want to have sex every day. Some, it's once a month. Some, it's this incredible sexual adventure every like five or six weeks. And then maybe they masturbate in between. It is all normal. How do you respond to that? <laughs> The same. And I said, like, I feel people get disappointed because they feel there is if there is if I say like, I don't know, twice per week, that's a kind of benchmark that they can work (laughs) toward or give them permission to relax. But you're absolutely right about that kind of going back to your sexual values. What does it mean to you? Is it about connection? Is it about adventure? Is it about kind of exploring your sensuality and where your partner is? I think those are kind of really good tools that kind of the hallmarks that you can use to see where you are with, with the answer to, to the in response to this answer to this question. But I think the other piece of it is kind of really kind of thinking about if we are far from it, what can I do to make sure my needs are getting met? And I think part of it is having a conversation with your partner. And the other part would be maybe in between I can engage in masturbation. And that can be a wonderful, exciting thing because sometimes, especially um, in my clients that are kind of female bodied, they're telling me that they feel masturbation is less than or it's not good enough, or it says mm-hmm. that they're not desirable. So I think that can, those stories can create some challenges for individuals. Absolutely. You're so right. I think masturbation is an incredible tool and practice when we are in relationships, as well as when we are not. I was a late bloomer in the masturbation department. 
And I've become incredibly passionate about it. I didn't start masturbating until I was in a long-term relationship past my 20s. I actually had just turned 30 the first time I masturbated to orgasm. And it completely changed my life. And it is by far the most helpful way for me to have better sex with a partner. So I love that idea of really deciding, you know, what are some of these ways I can have this wonderful sex life, no matter how often I'm engaging with a partner. And I think another really good question to ask ourselves is, what is it that we want from the sex? Like people have sex so that they can fall asleep. People have sex so that they can feel close to a partner. People have sex because they have a headache. You know, there's so many reasons. So there, there are also then so many ways to address those needs. There is no one singular, like it's not just I need to have penetrative sex this many times. It's what do I need to accomplish? Like, what am I trying to experience? Because if it's connection with a partner, that's not going to come necessarily from masturbation. You could work them into a fantasy or something like that. But it might be that cuddling would suffice for you. So really exploring those topics with yourself. And then, as you mentioned, with your partner seems really important. I agree with you. I think the other piece of it is at times the other partner feels betrayed when they learn that their partner is masturbating because in their mind is that my partner is not interested in me. But I love that you kind of brought up this wonderful point of people masturbating for a number of different reasons. Maybe they just want to masturbate for five minutes to be able to fall asleep and like five minutes kind of like sexual play with partner might not be available to them most of the nights or the desire might not be there. Or for some people, it's a kind of anxiety management tool. So maybe that work, they're masturbating after kind of like, you know, going to a meeting because they want to feel better, obviously, safely, <laughs> not exposing anyone. Yes, to that. <laughs> exactly. Private activity. Yes. <laughs> private activity, <laughs> private room. But I think like yeah. those are kind of important things to keep in mind that necessarily masturbate, masturbating and masturbating thoughts and masturbation is, doesn't mean that your partner is interested in someone else. Absolutely. Yeah, that's huge. And for me, I'm in a place now where I'm like, I want a partner who masturbates. I want them to know their body. I want them to have pleasure. And so really, I had to grow to that place, though, because I grew up with messages that masturbation was wrong for anybody. But some people couldn't help it is what I was taught. So I think really delving into those ideas you have, like, where did you get these ideas about masturbation? It's a very natural activity. And for most people, it's their first sexual activity. A lot of kids explore very, very young. So why why does it feel so threatening to you? Those are, again, those tender emotions where there's probably a lot of potential for growth. Absolutely. And I think if you are, if your partner bringing it up to you, I feel it's important to be honest about it. And I think at times this is what I see in more heterosexual couple that when the female partner discover that the male partner is masturbating, they confront the partner and the partner make promises to not do it. And how, like, it's, if that's something that you've done for decades, how, uh, how likely that you will keep that promise? So I think nice. that can create space for a feeling of betrayal, frustration, dishonesty. I think the other part could be kind of talking about what's the purpose it serves and talking about kind of negotiating what works for each party. 100%. That's such a good point. Because if you commit to something that's not realistic, 
you're going to feel terrible and you might start feeling shame around your masturbation as well. And shame just does not help sex. Absolutely. And you know, what's interesting at times I get calls for porn addiction treatment. And when the couples are in my office, we figure out that there is no out of control kind of like sexual behavior around watching porn. It's just a matter of the value discrepancy. Like the the, one of the partner doesn't like the other party watching porn and masturbating. They label it as porn addiction. And because because the other party feels so shamed around this behavior, they're they're taking on that label. So that can make things very complicated. Yeah. Yeah. When we pathologize natural activities, like it's one thing to have a compulsion that's taking over your life. And it's another thing to watch porn every night because it, it's helpful for you to masturbate to and then you can fall asleep. That's not an addiction. That's just a, a habit. It's a ritual. It's a self-care practice, really. Mm-hmm. And and I know I've heard from a lot of people who have different definitions of monogamy and some people don't think that porn fits into that. So some of its value system and some of its really trying to I think, delve into those messages. And and again, why do I feel this way? Because I remember feeling very threatened by, by porn early on. And I'm not in that place anymore. But again, when we learn so many negative things about it, it's very difficult. So I, I really feel for people who feel hurt by that. I, that's a very real emotion. But it's not actually, as you're saying, it's not about that person's behavior. It's really about these really mixed and harmful messages that were put upon you. I love that. I think the big part of it, we're taking on these messages that pass through generation of uh, what's the meaning of a person watching sexual entertainment. And it's it's mind-blowing to me because the, the kind of this sexual entertainment industry been been there for centuries. And uh, people are still kind of thinking about, okay, is, it, is there a way that that we can kind of like ban it. We're talking about kind of pathologizing and all of that. While it could be very natural, part of one's exploring sexual wellness, if they are uh, thoughtful about it and they make sure that the thing that they're supporting, the entertainments that they're supporting is aligned with the values that they have. So I think the other piece of it is that people at times question about the value of kind of pushing themselves, leaning into doing more sexual activity with their partner. Are there any benefits for couples that are sexual on a regular basis with each other? To kind of get your partner to have sex more often, you mean? Right, right. Like if there's a part, the couples that they think they're curious that, okay, maybe it might worth our time and attention if we're investing in this, yeah. uh, but we're not sure if the return of investment will be <laughs> worth yeah, it. Totally. I think that if you and your partner are both in a place of, we aren't having sex very often. I want to have a better sex life. I think that's a beautiful place to start prioritizing it more. And that's very beneficial. I think whenever we, you know, develop that connection or increase that connection, everything improves. We end up, I think, feeling less stressed out. We feel less agitated in our lives. You know, it extends far beyond the bedroom and far beyond sex. So I think the beginning part can feel a little daunting because you're making a change. And again, it's work, as you said, like, oh, this this feels like homework. This doesn't feel like the sex where all our hormones were ranging when we just met and we wanted to just rip off each other's clothes. And now we have, we have kids or we have busy jobs that we have all these things going on. But the beautiful thing is, I think it really can shift pretty quickly or start to shift where 
you put it on the calendar, you schedule it the way you would schedule a vacation. When we schedule vacation, we're excited about it. We have something to look forward to. We might have some butterflies. Maybe we're going somewhere we never went before. We have to deal with a lot of logistics. But once you're there, then you get the beautiful sunset on the beach. Then you get that really romantic time. So I think making it a priority is a beautiful thing. Um, And I think getting clear on what your goals are is important as well. I agree with that because sometimes people kind of feel that if a schedule, then it it shows that we're, we're no longer into each other. But I think reality of life is right now for most people that if it's not scheduled, you will not have time to do it. And I think the other piece of it is for many women, they kind of think about their desire needs to be something that's kind of like a spontaneous that my partner is like Saturday night or we're excited. Uh, we want, I have to kind of have this burning uh, desire of I want to have sex. But as we know that for many women, it's uh, we, they have responsive model of desire. After you're engaging in foreplay, after you're kind of spending some sensual quality time with your partner, then perhaps that's the time that the arousal can show up. But it's not going to be spontaneous no matter how long you're waiting. Yeah, if there's pressure on you to be turned on at 6 p.m. I mean, that's kind of a lot of pressure if you're busy all day. And that's another reason that I think it's so important to tap into our own sexuality as part of our life force energy, like during the day, you know, really thinking about fantasizing. I like to masturbate before sex. If I'm like really tense and I've been really busy, but I'm like, I really, I want to have sex with my partner and I want to have, I want to feel like I'm really there. I will play with myself and I'll pull out a toy and I love that. And I love it when a partner walks in on the in the room when I'm doing that. I think it's it just to me is like I know how to rev my own engine. So why not rev it so that there isn't that pressure? So anyone who feels like they have to be turned on on command, turn yourself on first. I love that. And kind of taking this ownership of this is something I can do to my body. I can turn on my body and I know how it works. This can be very, very empowering for especially many women. I'm curious then, do you recommend people to reach orgasm if they're exploring that or they're starting the foreplay with kind of doing the masturbation? Oh, I think either can work. However, I like building up the anticipation so much that it's almost like the edging or orgasm control mm-hmm. where you're just so turned on mm-hmm. that then you can carry that on with a partner. If you're somebody who's really into multiple orgasms or wants to, or if you tend to come very quickly and you have a more of a refractory period then you may want to masturbate, take a break and then come back in. So it depends on you. But I would say in general, if it's the case where you're trying to be turned on specifically because you want to have wonderful sex with a partner, then save the really, you know, save the prizes. Not not that there's a contest or anything, but save the really exciting stuff to have it when you were hoping to have it. Well, I'm sure the partner would appreciate it in so many different levels, right? The visual of like uh, the partners do kind of preparing themselves for this. And at times there are, as you know, that there, there is a arousal gap between men and women. And then with kind of like starting the process that you can kind of close the arousal gap. So I think it can be very powerful. And I like that you're inviting our listeners to almost create this sexual health plan for themselves, that what can I do with my partner and without my partner to make sure I'm reaching my 
kind of sexual potential that I want to reach. What else do you think they sh- it would be useful for them to put on that plan? Oh, I love this, a sexual health plan. So one of them is the step I mentioned earlier, prioritizing pleasure of any kind. Mm-hmm. Uh, using a quality lube is really important, having mm-hmm. great lubricants around. I recently debunked some really common sex habits that aren't very healthy for one of my podcast episodes. And the one I've been hearing the most feedback on is that people were using saliva as lube. Mm-hmm. And that's not ideal. I, I get why folks do it, right? It's there. It's natural. Like it's part of the body. So why not? It's very convenient, but it can cause dryness. It can, you know, it's it's just, you can end up transmitting STIs. There's a lot of friction that can happen. So you really want to have like a good quality lube based on what your activities are. And, and then I would say, you know, prioritizing solo play. It doesn't matter if you have a partner or not. I think Remembering that your sexuality is your own first is really important because especially if there's a discrepancy in desire, there becomes that that sort of shame conversation with yourself. And it's really there's there's nothing there is no like measure you need to meet. There's no grading system trying to nurture that that connectivity with you is is so important. Oh, wonderful points. And, you know, going back to the loop conversation, I know many women, they feel shame about wanting to use loop because they feel if I'm aroused enough, then I need to have the kind of my own natural lubrication, which is not accurate for many women that I work with, that they feel, okay, I'm aroused, but like for the extended kind of like sexual play that they're having or for a number of different reasons, hormone, different kind of like kind of uh, physiological reasons that they, it would be better if they use loop. And I was reading this psychological study. It was one of the well-known journal and they, they studied women and they found that 97 of participants reported improved sexual experiences after they added loop. So mm-hmm. I think even if you have a good lubrication in your body, that there's nothing in most of the cases wrong with adding the lubricant. And I think the other part is like sometimes when you're using toys, I think it's important to make sure that you're using lubricant. So I think those are really important things for people to consider. Absolutely. And you're so right. I think lubricant really makes all sex better. Mm-hmm. So there was a time where people thought, I mean, they were even marketed as you know, health aids for people who had particular conditions, but even taking like cold medicine causes dryness. Mm-hmm. So many things that can change your your hormones change throughout the month. If you if you menstruate, mm-hmm. you're not going to have the same wetness all month long, you know, and, and one of the byproducts of having so much porn, which again is is neutral in and of itself. There's nothing wrong with porn. A lot of people benefit from it. If you're watching porn where they're showing a lot of fluids flying around and people are squirting everywhere, that's in, that's part of the performance. That's their art. That's for the cameras. You don't have to be like, you know, Niagara Falls to <laughs> be like a normal functioning sexual being. I love that. And I think it's, it's a challenge for many people that they get their sex education from sexual entertainment material. But I, that's why I think it's important for people to 
gather good sexual education and kind of read about the different kind of research findings and also around kind of like aspects of their sexuality that they want to explore. On that note, I know you have wonderful resources on your websites and I know you have your wonderful podcast. So tell us more about that. Thank you. Yeah. So I host a podcast called Girl Boner Radio and I explore all different kinds of topics. I do a lot of storytelling with people about their real lived experiences. And I'm a journalist. So I weave in lots of like I have a true story series called Oh My God, Sex and Dating Stories. And I always weave in education and, and study findings, but we try to make it very fun and upbeat and uh, encouraging. And I just did a special on mismatched libido featuring two couples who found ways to navigate it in totally different ways mm. and still had really loving, wonderful sex lives and relationship with each other. I also have a series of books called Girl Boner as well. And most of my episodes I have transcribed on my blog if you're more of a reader. Yeah. So, and I love hearing from people. I answer a question from a listener every week. Awesome. I love that. And now you have a new listener (laughs) because I I love real stories, although we're in the field, but I think it's interesting to hear how people navigate their challenges. And I think that's wonderful to highlight real lived experiences. So I make sure that the information about the podcast, about the website is in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on the show and it was lovely to meet you. Thank you for having me. And I didn't even say my web address, did I? It's girlboner.org. Perfect. perfect. <laughs> so thank you for the work you do. I think it's so important. And thanks for having me. Thank you. I hope you guys found our conversation meaningful and useful. It's my experience when I when I work with couples that as long as there is a willingness from both parties to improve their sexual relationship, there's always a solution. So the fact that you haven't found that solution, it doesn't mean that the relationship is not fixable or it's not something, the sexual, the good enough sexual experiences is not something that will be available to you in future. All you would need is to ask for help. And there are a number of wonderful sex therapists out there that can help you with problem solve your sexual health challenges. I recently graduated couple couples in my practice and you're welcome to contact me to see if I'm a good fit for helping you in this journey. Also, I want to make sure that I'm producing the content that's useful for you So if you have a five minute, we have a brief survey that we would really appreciate it if you fill it out. The link to the survey is in the show note and I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.